0: What's new, what's new? Welcome back to another music interview. I'm Justin the Floor god. This is the So Who's Up Next podcast, the show where I have curious conversations with my fellow musicians about their music, process, and passion. Bobby Chenille is a gardener, and proof that success comes to those who plant a variety of seeds and take the time to nurture them. Talking about the year-long process of shooting his first music video for his song called Cartier V2, my eyes were open to just what it takes to go completely all in on yourself, on your art, and how that makes for a very rewarding yield. Let's get into it. Bobby, nice to have
1: you on the show. Nice of you to have me. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Flushing, Queens, New York City in the United States of America. And did that have like a major impact on your musical upbringing as well? I would say so, because like when you think about New York City, right, you think about a very specific sound, especially when it comes to like hip hop. Mm -hmm. So like what I would say is that I grew up, of course, like I'm not able to avoid the influence of that sound. You know, I also grew up in a predominantly Asian neighborhood, mostly like immigrants from China. And that also has a kind of like an effect on like my development as a person. I would say the area I grew up in definitely affected the type of music I make. What got you into music? I went to Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School, and it's basically a specialized high school for the arts so like some notable celebrities that went there like include like Nicki minaj and like nicole aniston oh and like a bunch of yeah a bunch of like other like like a bunch of other like top people like within like film and and like and music so like of course like the caliber of like education in music that i was getting was like way different from like the average like art school i started playing piano when i was nine and that's literally my gateway into music. Before then, like my mom really liked piano music. She would play classical piano, like all over the house. And essentially that kind of influenced me to be like, hey, I want to play piano too. Unlike other like Asian, like Tiger moms, like she, she wasn't, she didn't force me to play piano. She was just like, Hey, you can try this out. And if you don't like it, you know, you don't have to. But like, I had like a demo lesson with like a teacher. I was like, yeah, I can do this. So like my mom started funding my music career, like from that very early age of nine, mm-hmm. right? Just taking piano lessons, taking music theory lessons. And eventually when I auditioned for uh, LaGuardia high school, I originally wanted to get in for piano. Cause like, that was my, my main intention. That was my focus. That was like my whole entire life purpose. I was like, I want to be a pianist. Right, mm. but unfortunately, I didn't get in. But I did get into like my backup major, which was voice, because I was like, you know what, it, it wouldn't hurt to also audition for voice. But I got in for voice instead, and I didn't have any options for high school, and I wanted a better life because, you know, I'm a first generation Chinese American. So I decided to take that classical voice education, and I was able to learn the basics of just like opera technique, because they like, they really teach you like breath control and mm-hmm. tonality and all that stuff, especially like with like my teenage body and like a developing voice. And I think that really set me up for being able to eventually senior year, I took this recording electronic music kind of class where like the teacher was like teaching us about music technology. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really built my passion for just like the studio you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. and like just like recording and producing that's when i first started getting into it like my senior year of high school but at that time i was in a very dark place in my life so like i wanted to express that musically i convinced my mom to you know buy me the laptop i have today it's just like a macbook 2012 like macbook pro hmm. and she she bought me that she also got me a copy of logic and she also helped me get my mic and my midi piano and just from then, like every single night, I was like passionately watching YouTube videos and learning how to use Logic and how to produce my own beats. And eventually I made my first songs and started dropping on SoundCloud. And yeah, that's, that's really how it started. That's super crazy. What like a, an
0: interesting childhood. And then, you know, in, up until now that is, you know, cause I, I, I don't, I don't think there's, any, like I'm in Florida, I don't think there's anything kind of like that where where I'm at, where it's like a super specialized high school for, for like music and things like that. So that's super, super cool. But I'm also really curious about how you got into like the R&B realm and the, the hip hop scene, because you know growing up on like classical piano and like learning operatic singing techniques like that's a very different world so what got Oh of you, course. Yeah, yeah. So like what got you inspired into
1: producing hip hop? So I think my first introduction to hip hop was like my middle school years around like 12 13 years old. So my dad has a friend um I call him Uncle Jay even though we're not blood related mm-hmm. but you know he he you know like Asian families are very nuclear with like family friends and whatnot so like I would see him a lot and he he has a knack for like just like technology in general he's a very like hardware kind of guy and at that time I had an mp3 player but no songs on them so what I would do is like write down a list of like songs I would want on this mp3 player and uncle jay would just download them for me into there because like I was you know I was just a kid I didn't know I didn't know what the fuck how to get songs on my mp3 player mm-hmm. especially for like free you know because yeah. like you can just torrent shit but like I didn't Know that technology back then like even existed or how it worked so Eventually, when it came time for like Uncle Jay to be like, yo, like what songs do you want? And I'm like, I don't know, whatever's popping right now. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever, like the popular music is. When I got my MP3 player back, there was a bunch of like pop music, you know, a lot of Lady Gaga, you know, whatever was popping at the time. Bruno Mars, I love Bruno Mars. And I started seeing some other shit. Basically what Uncle Jay downloaded was like reflective of what was on the Billboard Top 100s. So of course there were some rap songs in there. From then on, I was like introduced to like Wiz Khalifa, and Big Sean and like but like I think the main influence that really got me into hip hop was Eminem yeah Eminem was like my gateway into hip hop, like for real. I think it's also notable to say that just the fact that Eminem was a white rapper, first of all, like really spoke to me as just like someone who's not black, but still has this appreciation for hip hop. And I think like Eminem really like opened up that appreciation for hip hop for me, because at the time I wasn't really into rap or hip hop. There was still this like connotation of just like, it's still like gangsta, you know what I mean? And like my mom didn't want me to like get into that life. Even though like the neighborhood I grew up in was like relatively peaceful bad things still happened it was fucking like queens new york like crimes still happened there were still gangs around like not as much as like back in the 90s and at the time i didn't know but like some of my peers in middle school were like smoking weed and shit and i wasn't into that shit like i was on my nerd shit but like listening to eminem like how effectively he used the medium of like hip-hop to uh express his angst and just like like all that emotion like there was something like I never thought was possible in rap. I thought rap was just like braggadocious and very flexing, like everything you did and what you got very, very masculine. That was my perception of like rap and hip hop at that time. But like, Mm -hmm. I feel like Eminem really just like, like twisted my expectations and like really got me into like more black rappers, that's when I really got into that. But when it comes to like hip hop and r and I think the influence in that is just like Bruno Mars and, and Eminem, like whenever like they would collab, I'm pretty sure like, or like whenever like Eminem would, would like collab with like a singer, I feel like that was just like the formula of just like, yo, this is a good song like there's like vocals and there's rap and there's like a beautiful instrumental to like color the soundscape. And I feel like that was like just heavily inspired, just the, t- the type of songwriting and structure that I have today. That's super cool. You mentioned Eminem's position as a white
0: rapper, kind of opening mm-hmm. your mind to what the possibilities of the genre and I guess music in general could be. So as an Asian American who's in the same space or, you know, finds himself wanting to be in that same space, what do you think, like, I, I, what I'm trying to get at is like the challenges, I guess, race and then also entering the hip hop space. Mm-mm. Something that comes to mind for me is like the 88 Rising crew, Rich Brian, you know, or like a like a Keith Ape type Asian rappers and things like that. Do you think it's more difficult for Asian Americans
1: to enter that game today or what's your take on that? So my opinion is that rap and hip hop, that space will always, always be predominantly black and in, and influenced by a predominantly black culture because that's what sells first of all second of all it's just like black people started hip hop you know what i mean so it's kind of like you can't really claim that whole genre you know to be yours but like i think there is space for non black non hispanic people to like carve their own lane within hip-hop especially nowadays because like it's more like hip-hop more than hip-hop you know like what i mean so like and i feel like you know people people like audiences are more listeners are more open to a more melodic sound nowadays and that's not to take away from just like asian rappers like i think like asian rappers is just like the concept is a paradox because we take this genre and like the public's perception of this genre to be stereotypically aggressive and masculine, right? And like, and you see Western civilization, the perception of just like Asian men and just like Asian people in general, you know, being submissive and, you know, like not as outspoken. I guess when we talk about just like Rich Brian, right? And like 88 Rising and just like that whole movement, like, and I think it was really popping like three years ago yeah i think it's just a twist of expectations right and i think that's that was effective and i think that now more than ever a lot of asian rappers are gaining you know are taking are being taken more seriously asian like hip-hop artists like r&b artists in general like you know tr- like adopting a predominantly black genre think about joji yeah right joji like Because like we knew him as Filthy Frank, but then like when he turned into Joji, right? And we and we hear like his first like R and B project and like hitting like the Billboard top one hundreds in the R and B, right? That really like twisted people's expectations of just like an Asian person being what people would refer to as like you know a black space, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of it's really difficult to talk about, you know. It's because there's a lot of intersectionality and complexities when talking about like race and music when we think about just like the producers that work with black rappers you know black artists mm. um you know not all of them are black you know yeah you know like you and and i feel like you you it's it's very a very complex topic to talk about yeah yeah i mean i think uh, that was a good take <laughs>
0: and i feel like i definitely relate to a lot of what you're saying you know um asians at the forefront of um you know, different genres of music, be it R&B, hip hop, pop, whatever, it's going to be new for a while until it's not. And then when it's mainstream, mm-hmm. then it's like, I feel like that's what allows, um, I guess, more Asians to kind of, uh take over the
1: Asian invasion bro oh oh, can I add to that (laughs) yeah yeah go for it can I add to that take so like I think one thing people like the mainstream media has noticed is the rise of BTS and just like k-pop in general like taking over like globally and I think that is just like another perception of just like Asian face and music right Mm. because like when we see like the k-pop formula right you know like it's it's a lot of dance and like boy bands and just like and like just like groups how like the the aesthetic is is more feminine you know like there's like more makeup and i think that's also just like asian beauty standards and how like we're able to export that look and export that culture i think just the fact that like bts and like other asian like music groups are like dominating it, it goes to show that like it doesn't matter what you look like or like what your race is, like if you sound dope, that's what people will cater towards. I mean, of course, like image, image is definitely a big, a big, like just to contradict myself, like image is a big factor of like your success as a musician. Yeah, But I think it's interesting because we see Asian artists in specifically the US, they can take either route you know what i mean they can go for like this this poppy influence from k-pop kind of style or they can you know they can take the path that you know you know many asian americans have um have paved before them like i feel like um when it comes to like gangster rap especially like there's not a lot of asians in the scene Mm -hmm. and like the only like that top two that like that pop up in my head when i when i mention that is like what china mac china mac and like um there's this there's this rapper called Dolla Sign, Dolla Sign Young. They're about that street life. You know what I mean? And I feel like they have the street cred to actually be an Asian face and rapping in a predominantly black kind of culture in a black space because they they experience that street life synonymous to, you know, inner city black kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's um, about upbringing for sure. I think it's more about upbringing than it is about just like what you look like because like someone's identity doesn't necessarily correlate with their ethnicity you know what i mean 100 um and it's kind of like you you're at this weird intersection and i i think like specifically when it like i can i can talk for my experience i see both sides of the coin mm. you know what i mean mm. i i feel like at some point in my life you know i could have seen myself be a, like a china mac you know what i mean but like i i didn't want to go into that mm. you know i wanted to be myself and love the music i love you know that is like a more pop sound, and that's why, like I guess, like I want to like steer towards like an R and B lane more so than hip hop nowadays. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Like it's it's a really complicated topic to talk about because there's so much intricacy. Hundred percent, and
0: yeah, man. Um, even just going shallowly into these topics, you've you've definitely illuminated, uh, a lot of, you know, major points, I think. And
1: I, I agree with all of them. Anyone listening to this right now, like feel feel free to uh, continue the discourse about just like Asian faces within the music industry. I, I think it's a very interesting uh, conversation because like not a lot of people like are aware of it or like talk about it. So like definitely anyone listening to this right now, if you have like a hot take or like something that you think, you know people. Like, like a unique perspective that people like might want to hear, like definitely like drop it down in like the comments below or or whatnot.
0: It's definitely something we can get into for ages and definitely something that I want to go into further, maybe probably at a later date, because I do want to get into mm-hmm. the actual music. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, no, for 100%, like I could talk about that for hours probably. Yo, me too, um, me too. Let's pivot to your first album, The Birth of Bobby, Chenille. Talk to me a little bit about what that album means to you.
1: I see that as my debut album to the world. This was released 2019. So my second semester of freshman year of college, still trying to get over, you know, just all the baggage from high school. I think the first track of that album explains a lot uh, very well. I I was heavily influenced by XXXTentacion, Tentacion, heavily influenced by like a Uzi Vert, just like quote unquote, just like emo rap and just like that movement coming up mm. um, where you see more expression within the hip hop. You know music you know more expression like more flexibility i think historically i think the first time that really happened where you don't have to be like a gangster to rap you know was like 50 cent and i think kanye west like they had like a album battle early 2010s and that really paved the way for like a more melodic sound and hip-hop that was what i was steering towards with the birth of bobby chenille at that time i saw music as a release for me mm-hmm. you know what i mean music was all i knew you know like if you Steer back to our conversation earlier about, like, my upbringing and just, like, how music was just, like, an everyday part of my life. That was, like, the only way I felt like I could express myself because I was socially awkward. I didn't have many people that I can trust to call friends. Like, I saw music as my outlet to get all these skeletons out of my closet. Mm. You know what I mean? Because, like, yeah. I had really dark thoughts and I just like wanted to like, not be in my mind anymore. So I saw music making and producing and writing lyrics and all that. Like I saw it as a way to make a statement for myself, but also let the world know who I was at that moment in time. And I think one good example of that is like the the, the hit single off that album. I have like, uh this song called My Bag mm-hmm. and I have this song called Cartier and both those songs were like the like the top like singles off that album that mm-hmm. people really resonated with and I think that really if you're a first time listener of Bobby Shneil I feel like to really understand Bobby Shneil like you should you should listen to those two songs at least
0: I remember My Bag popping off on SoundCloud like when I first found you I remember listening to that and I was like yeah I could definitely get behind this and it's been quite the trip seeing you know where you were you know up until now um, releasing Cartier V2 along mm-hmm. with a music video. So let's talk about that for a little bit. It's definitely an improvement in sound and an improvement in sight. I know you hadn't really posted any other music videos up until that point, but talk to me a little bit about what changed for you as far as the production style, vocal style, going from the album The Birth of Bobby Chanel. Into something like your recent release, Cardi V two.
1: I think one thing I did keep true to myself is just how I engineered and mixed my vocals. I was told by a fan that like I have this certain kind of like echo vibe, you know. And I guess like that goes into just like how I sound design, like my reverb and my echoes and like in my, my like delays and like how I like pan that shit, you know. Like I just mm-hmm. like I've, I have like a kind of like formula you know, like sonically. Mm. And I think like that's that's what remains consistent, you know, like, and I feel like that's what when you talk about like, just like my audience, that's what they subscribe to, you know, like that, that kind of sound and that kind of consistency. But also I think another big thing is versatility, you know, singing, rapping, production, being able to bend genres and just like explore that space. I feel like I had to go through like a development in between that first project, the birth of Bobby Chenille to like Cartier V2, because like I had a couple of small projects in between Mm. and a couple of singles to really try to find my sound. And I feel like Cartier V2, in a sense, is me. It's like the closest I've been to like finding my sound, you know? Yeah. That's super cool, and I mean, it definitely
0: sounds like you're uh growing into the identity you're trying to carve out for yourself even more so, you know, than before. And something you mentioned so uh, like a few times before was like the idea of genre bending, the idea of versatility, and you mentioned X as one of your primary influences, at least in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, your stuff to me definitely reflects that same mindset of like, you know, he made what he wanted to make and executed very well, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're definitely doing the same. So that's, that's great. Tell me about how the music video came about. How do you even go about starting production on a music video? And what was it like going through that process?
1: So to be honest, the whole entire production process for this music video was a first for me. Mm. Um, Cause originally the music video was for the original Cartier record. Like cardio v1 the one off the birth of bobby chenille oh wow and i i wanted to do that because i've realized that most of my fans knew me for just that song Mm. you know so i wanted to do do it justice and give it a music video you know to to really immerse the people who who care about my music in like in a visual way Mm. so i think it was the beginning of 2020 Around February, March, we started shooting for the Cartier music video. We got a couple of scenes in, you know, we got, like at the time I lived... I lived in like a house show kind of venue mm. at one of our biggest functions before that even happened. Like people started pouring in. I thought it would be cool to to you know shoot a couple scenes of just me like chilling like with my homies and just like for, like for this music video. And that's essentially just like some of the shots that you see like in the Cardi B two music video. But as the pandemic hit, I think it was like April March, we couldn't get the shots that we wanted like in New York City because mm. we we planned to go to New York City to like get you you know, some shots, just like the whole entire project was just stalled for like the rest of the year until like 2021. That's when I like wanted to take this serious and like, you know, finish what I started. And what, what changed for me is that I wanted to get like the business, the business part of my music, right. You know, like, cause like when people talk about the music industry and just like what it's like for like an upcoming artist, I don't think there's an emphasis on just, like, learning how the music business works. Because, like, I swear to God, like, at least half the people putting out their music, you know, writing, recording, and, and just, like, putting it out on, like, platforms like SoundCloud and Spotify, they don't understand that music is a business, mm. you know? And I think it also just, like, comes to the stubbornness of just, like, yeah, I'm a creative, I'm an artistic-minded person. I don't want to, like, I, I my mind just doesn't work around just, like, uh, correlating money with, with my art, you Mm -hmm. know, but, but eventually it like, that's something you'll have to overcome if you want to be successful, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't just make a bunch of music and expect a record label to just be like hey here's two million dollars now you know like that's not how it works like and i think it's because of like social media how fast trends come and go there's this potential to like blow up overnight that a lot of uh, like aspiring artists are trying to like achieve they're trying to make a song you know, post it, go to sleep and wake up to like, like a million views and people being like, yo, this is so fire. Like, that's not how it works. Like there's, there's like time and dedication and strategy put behind this. So back to the music video, I wanted to own the full rights to the original Cartier beat, right? Mm. So I hit up the producer, um, Kim J and I asked him, yo, like, do you have the, are you still selling the exclusive rights to this beat? Unfortunately, it was already sold to another artist. Which was a bummer because that means i won't be able to monetize the original cartier mm. especially like if i want to push all my resources to make a music video like i want to at least set it up in a way where i can eventually see a return in investment what i ended up doing was i requested a custom beat from kim j that's that had a similar sonic profile to the original cartier beat mm. and the idea was to take the original vocals and just put it on top of the new beat right yeah but After hearing the new beat, the tempo was like slightly slower and like, just like the sonics were like totally different. So like, I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't put like the, I can't put like the old Cartier vocals like onto this new beat because first of all, that would be a disservice to myself because, you know, I've improved so much vocally, you know, as a vocalist, that wouldn't be an accurate representation of my skill set at the time. So to do, and, and the beat was fire as fuck. I, and I was like, yeah, th- I can't, I can't just like disrespect this beat like that just by putting like old vocals on it, like outdated, mm-hmm. like a, an outdated style onto it. So like I had to, so I got the beat literally January 1st. And so I took that whole entire month. It probably took me two weeks since like, that was the, the only thing I was focused on to write new lyrics and to really conceptualize a new Cartier, you know, a new Cartier record. Because like I I definitely wanted to there to be consistency because like also what was going on in my mind was like like shit. Like I, we already recorded a couple of scenes for like for the original Cartier records. So like there will be inconsistency with just like my my mouthing. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, just like the lyrics and shit. Like that that'll be totally off. So like as I was writing the lyrics and writing like writing this song, like Cartier V two, I wanted to keep like a consistency within like the vibe and also within like just like a couple of words like just like so like that's why like you can kind of see like when you when you hear the like the final product of cartier b2 there are some similarities with the original cartier Mm -hmm. you know especially with just like the production like how i engineer my vocals and also just like some of the lyrics too and how i vocalize them kind of paying homage to like something i made and i would really consider it a sequel to the original cartier and so after after my video team got this new uh cartier beat and new and new cartier lyrics You know, we had to kind of start from scratch over again, low key, kind of sort through the myriad of content that we had shot for the original Cartier and try to salvage what we could but eventually we went to new york city and we were able to get some dope shots we were also able to um just like shoot more scenes of me singing Cartier v2 so it would actually make sense Mm -hmm. that was kind of like the whole process really full disclosure like this is really what happened because like in other interviews i'm you know i kind of have to like skim through it because like you know time and Yeah, yeah but you know but that's that's really how Cartier v2 came into fruition it was originally kind of just like, I wanted to push like the original Cartier, but ended up making a whole new song. That was the creative process behind it. That's crazy. What a lengthy process and what a rewarding one at
0: that because, oh my God, dude, you killed it. The video turned out great. The editing's on point. I was just really impressed. And also the song is just great too, obviously. Just
1: the fact that um, it just just accumulating all this content and all, and all this, all this thought putting to put into this like movement for like a year, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you, like, if you think about it, like within the timeline, we started shooting for the, like we started shooting like February, March, 2020. And then like a year later, we're still working on it. And like, it wasn't until February 14th that we actually dropped the song. And it wasn't until uh, February 22nd that, that we dropped the music video. So like, it really took like a full year to really see this idea come into fruition. And I think it's appropriate because, you know, first we have, you know, the pandemic limiting us to travel. Mm -hmm. And also it took time because it was like my first take into just, like, actually taking my music seriously and actually conceptualizing a music video because I've never really done that before. Because, mm-hmm. like, all the other, whatever other content that I had on my YouTube before the Cardi V2 music video was just, like, visualizers of just, like, a couple frames of just, like, the cover art, just, like, moving around. And I think, like, the closest thing to a music video I had before Cardi V2 was, like, was the video for Time and Money,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which was basically just, like, a mix of, like, the visualizer for the cover art of Credences and just like some footage of my live performance of that song. Very amateur, you know, and I feel like just like you can see the huge jump of quality with like just like how much time and effort was put into like this content, you know, with Cartier
0: V2. 100% dude. And yeah, it's there's definitely that jump and it shows how much work um you did put in. And, you know, you mentioned... That there was this kind of mindset switch for you where you began to really take yourself seriously, began to focus a bit more on your presence, uh, the the visuals, the sounds, you know, just one upping yourself, taking it to the next level. Earlier, you were kind of getting into marketing. And so, on the idea of like, you know, time is money, you know, you even say that in your song Time and Money, you mentioned the phrase like you're investing into your future. And, you know, regardless of how you sow your seeds, you don't get those fruits of that labor, you know, the same day you plant. So mm-hmm. to hear you go through that, you know, year long journey is is definitely something worth noting, but also let's get into marketing. Cause I'm also very curious about that. You have 4k mm-hmm. plus streams on Cartier V2. How'd you make that possible? Like, what are you doing differently this time around as far as content creation, marketing and things like that that you weren't doing before.
1: When it came to just marketing and promotion of this new Cardi v 2 record, the one obvious thing that was different was that I had more help this time. Within the time frame of January 2021, I was reached out to by David Sinclair Black. He is this British lad uh from the UK. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, what he offered to me was promotion, being able to promote my music in a sustainable way, mm. right? Like that's that's what he was pushing to me as an artist. Like that's what he was offering to me as an artist. Like being able to put me on his production company, like his develop, like his artist development company, and be able to uh, get me into Spotify playlists. Um, uh, get, get PR, all that good stuff and trying to, you know, like run Facebook ads for me and all that shit. And after seeing the full process of it, I cannot deny the fact that David has helped me reach that point of just like being able to help me advertise and promote like my song by like pitching it to playlists and sending a bunch of emails and, you know, getting my first press release placements. And I think like, just like, you know, getting all those firsts, you know, like, because like, I've never really before Cardi AB2, I've never really cared about just like, getting my new release into like, playlists. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I guess it's just like a huge knowledge curve from just like my previous releases, and this release, because like, I, I was focusing on how can I get heard by as many people as possible. You know, Mm -hmm. and having my manager there uh, helping me with like the promotion side of it, I could really double down on that and also go heavy, you know, just like curating content for my Instagram uh, to to catch eyes and to build hype, you know, like coming up with like innovative ideas to get people engaged pre-release and being able to just like all that stuff. Like I, you know, strategy is key, especially when releasing a new song. Cause like, I know you and I, we've like heard this like notion of just like, if someone chops a tree down in the forest, but no one hears it fall, did it really happen? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I guess it's like the same concept. It's the same concept. Like if you drop the song, but don't like shout into your megaphone that you dropped the song, who the fuck is gonna care? So with David, what was different is that this time I had a really huge megaphone Like I could really get like, get a lot of eyes on this. And I guess that was the big thing. It wasn't just all David though. I also had to, you know, be consistent texting fans and being engaged in like all social media platforms, being able to be consistent, consistency is key, but just like all that good stuff, man. Like it's just, it's just a lot of new, a new first and a lot of like, like a lot of new milestones because I was able to take this release seriously. You know, and, and that includes like the business aspect of it too. Yeah, definitely finding management and
0: having those opportunities and resources um will do nothing
1: but help you become more abundant, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it makes it easier because you're more focused on uh the creative aspect more so than the business aspect because like I mean you you can still be you can still be business minded with you know management, but I think it just takes take some stress off your shoulders, especially when it comes to just like knowing that like while I'm in school and focusing on my education, David's out there pushing my song for me. Mm. You know, I'm not a full-time artist yet. Mm. So just like that, that is one key thing too, like saving time, you know, being resourceful, like just, just like how you put it, you know, being abundant with like resources and being able to utilize that effectively.
0: But yeah, so You've got an album out. You just dropped that EP credences a little while ago. Got some singles out, Cartier V2, the music video, all these things happening for you. You mentioned that you've recently had a lot of firsts, all good ones. But is there any one first that you're still looking forward to in the future that's like can't wait until this happens?
1: I can't wait to perform at a live show again. Mm. Um I feel like that's like the one thing I'm I've been like really looking forward to. Is like human to human interaction, you yeah. know what I mean, and that's 100%. been limited because because of the the disease, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I think when it comes to like live performances, you get to interact with your audience in a totally different way, you know, because they don't see you through a screen, they don't they don't hear you through a phone, right? You're live there, and the, and the energy you bring is live, you know what I mean. And I'm just like I'm just anticipating the day where like I get to perform at a venue in a time that is safe to, where everyone can have their mask off and we're we're able to touch each other and, and we're able to mosh and just like scream and yell and just vibe, you know? Like that's what I'm really looking forward to. Like my first like real successful like concert and what I would deem, like what I would consider a successful concert is just like a room packed with people who just vibe with me, like the whole entire set. That's like the the biggest goal that I'm looking forward to, to actually have a successful concert, sell merchandise, I guess, like, because I haven't really done that yet mm-hmm. and really be able to interact with like new potential fans and like be able to meet people who have been listening to me for like forever, mm-hmm. you know, seeing, seeing like my friends and my family, you know, like i really want to manifest a day where I can perform and have it be successful.
0: And I can't wait for that for you, you know, like that uh, uh, the time and money performance that I saw on your YouTube looked really, really fun to be at and even more fun to perform at. So um, you know, whatever's next sounds fun. But right there, you just used the word manifest. And I know in the Cartier V2 music video in the description, you said this vision was manifested with or manifested by, and then you like listed all the credits or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and so that brings to my mind ideas of like the law of attraction, you know, manifesting <laughs> your own fate and you know, believing in yourself so that your world changes around you. So to what extent do you think that is true? And how has that been working out for you? Before we get into Bobby Chenille's advice for emerging artists, I wanted to remind you to follow our show wherever you go to stay updated on all things music. And if you're an artist who wants to converse with me on the show, hit me up at Up Next on Instagram, I'll be happy to have you on. Also right after this, definitely go say hi to Bobby, check out his music on Spotify and major platforms, watch the Cartier V2 music video, you're listening to it in the background right now, definitely a banger, definitely worth checking out. Everything, his whole discography is just all bangers, it's all gold. Now for some advice.
1: So I think this can segue towards like, just like advice for aspiring musicians trying to get their foot into the music industry. The law of attraction, you know, manifestation, I think it's very real. Like, for like, like let's get that clear. I think it's very real. The human mind, you know, is very powerful. And, and this is not because I've done a bunch of psychedelics, but probably. Uh, <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, Cardi V2 was the only thing I had in my mind. So therefore I was subconsciously manifesting the final product because like, of course, when you're making music and it's like not done yet, you know, you're still manifesting it. You know, you're still developing it. You're still, you're still sowing your seeds. You're still, you have to be active, not just in like doing it, but thinking it because when you actively think like that's when your mind is just like okay um you're let's say you're a really busy person right you have a 9 to 5 job you go to school you have a family like your attention and your mental capacity is stretched thin uh to accommodate you know all these facets of your life right mm. but like if you're at your job constantly thinking about oh my god I wish I wish I was home right now making beats I wish I was I wish I was uh, working on this one song right now, right fucking now. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that drive and that passion goes hand in hand with like the law of attraction and manifestation. Because when when you think that energy, you subconsciously put that energy out to the universe. And I think this can be applicable, like especially on social media. People underestimate the power of social media. Either people don't know how to use it or don't really understand how many people see, interpret, like your your content, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like whether whether you like repost some call to action for activism for Black Lives Matter or like all that stuff. Like you will always be perceived. You will always be be perceived no matter what. There's no stopping that. There's no stopping that. Like even when you're when you're when you're home, even when you're like walking outside, you will always be perceived. Like maybe maybe you know by maybe not by other human beings, but like the universe will always see you. So like you will always be aware of like what you're doing like either subconsciously or like it's a really abstract concept until you experience it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like I feel like when I saw the law of attraction work for me was the four weeks in my, my whole entire Cardi v two campaign, mm-hmm. right? The two weeks before pro, uh, like pre promo and the two weeks after until now post release. Um, like I was able to utilize the law of attraction so heavily that I was able to get what I want you know what I wanted was radio interview I wanted these playlist placements I wanted this press release I wanted that like, that's what I want and that's what I focused on mm-hmm. because I knew that's what I wanted and then therefore my brain actively worked for it even when I wasn't there you know like when I was in school and like I had to pay attention in class but right after like all I could think about was open your laptop and write your press release or post this new piece of content on all your social medias like uh, update your website like all, all this shit like when you're consciously like thinking about what you want like even if you like write it down as long as you put effort into that imagined future it can and will happen and that's that's my take on the law of attraction and just manifesting what you want uh for your music career